Uh, all right there, Elvis. Uh, I, th- I think it's time we had to talk about legacy. Yeah, Jimmy? Well, uh, I-, I was just thinking ever since, uh, you know, my movies have been a big hit, and I, I realize that I'm not going to be around forever, so uh, it-, it might be time for us to consider how we're going to be perceived in the uh, coming generations. Uh, my name's not uh, acclaimed actor James Dean. You know, Jimmy, I was thinking exactly the same thing. And when those aliens brought me up on their spaceship, I took a little something or other for my own personal use. I think we can immortalize ourselves in more than just our art. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I suppose it's worth a shot. I mean, uh, I know that cloning is not really the simplest technology. I know that a lot of people will be upset with us, but I'm looking forward for the first time to be a rebel with a cause. And that cause is going to be cloning our bodies for future generations to enjoy James Dean and Elvis Presley. I may not be anything more than a hound dog, baby, but I can tell you right now that uh, I want to make a copy of myself without having to resort to a hunk of, hunk of burning love. It should always be the last resort, in my opinion. So how about we have a little less conversation and a little more action with this here cloning device? All right, well, I'm not too sure on these instructions. It looks like they were written in Canadian or something, but, uh, you know, the, the pictures seem to be pretty clear, and I think we got this. Let's, uh, let's fire this baby up. Should I go in first, or should you? Uh, well, I, I think that maybe we should race for it. You know, whoever gets to the there first has the better chance of being cloned and uh, is therefore the better specimen to carry into the new new generation. I'm not as agile as I used to be, but I do have all the energy from my peanut butter banana sandwich. All right. On three. All right. And a one, one. And a two. two and a three. Oh, God. <laughs> We're stuck. We're stuck. What are we going to do? Oh, mama. Let's, it's starting. Let's, maybe this button. This, this won't end well. We kind of screwed up the one person chooses, other person edit thing. We're bad at everything. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, failure is the, the reason of the seasoning. <laughs> That's not a phrase. Oh. <laughs> and oddly enough, that proves your point. Yeah. I really killed it. <laughs> good, good, good for me. I'm a happy, happy boy. Good for me. God, he, he's just so vivacious yeah he's real gregarious we we gotta we gotta get into the show uh mm-hmm. welcome everyone to the carton cast my name is ben my name is Zane. and this is the podcast where we review all old cartoons and see what we think of them as adults and today mere days after the gillette razor debacle uh debate on the internet we are talking about a very interesting cartoon that deals with toxic masculinity yeah, you're you're gonna date this that specifically? Yes. I'm not gonna know what that's about in a couple of years. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Oh uh, yeah. The Carton cast. Do the monkey with us. This is where we started from, everyone. Back in twenty nineteen, January, we were worried about Gillette razor shaving commercials. Yeah, yeah, because uh you know nothing else um, is going on. Pop culture has a long and storied history of men being extremely manly. Uh, in ways that are no longer acceptable or shouldn't be. Uh, yep. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have a lot to say on that. I, 
I knew this was going to be a hard one. So like normally if I'm tired by the end of a work day, I just power through. This one I knew I needed to take a nap and then wake up a little fresher and be like, okay, it's time to talk about some gender roles. It's interesting because like, yes, it's pretty much the only thing ever anyone remembers about Johnny Bravo. By the way, we're doing Johnny Bravo today. Today is Johnny Bravo. Today is Johnny Bravo. But like, there's so much else here. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. It it wasn't until looking back on this and realizing that I had such a visceral reaction to all the problematic uh, machismo that I understood that, like, the the show, the parts of the show that don't deal with that, I actually like a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's the, you are right, it's the first thing that anyone remembers because it is such a forefront of his personality. Um, I, I have a lot of fond memories of this show. I, I definitely watched it a lot as a kid, and it's probably why I used to say Wiggy a lot. <laughs> so I, I definitely am going into this not unbiased. Yeah, it, I mean, every episode that I watched in preparation for our show i was like i remember what happens <laughs> yeah it toggled a bit in my memory like the the little song the, it's not easy being a giant leathery hamster like that i just when i heard it it like connected with me in a way that i wasn't aware that it was lurking in my memory kind of and, like the way the land before time theme kind of like brought something mm-hmm. back a bunch of lines in johnny bravo just yeah and, uh, and short not, circuit to my memory. I'm not positive that it's because I watched it so much, so much as, like, there's a lot of, like, really notable beats in any episode that are, like, <laughs> like you know they didn't come from any other show. Yeah, this this was a very expressive uh, and, audaci- and audacious show, mm-hmm. given it's... So, and I kinetic. It doesn't give you any time to relax. Let's, let's, let's talk about the production history. Sure. So... Johnny Bravo ran Hoo-ha. on cartoon. What? Hoo-ha? On encore. <laughs> ran on Cartoon Network from 1997 to 2004, although not for that entire period. Mm-hmm. It was born of the Cartoon Cartoons Showcase and was created by Van Partible. Great name. Uh, Giovanni yep. Bravo is his middle name, which is how we got Johnny Bravo. Mm hmm. Uh, it was produced by Hanna-Barbera for the first three seasons, and then Cartoon Network Studios took over for a fourth. Meanwhile, Van Partible left the series after the first season, because it was put on hi- hiatus for a while. And then he came back for the fourth season with the others under the direction of Kirk Tingblad, a name that also sounds made up. And so, these production changes account for the numerous differences between every single season, including things like the focus of the plots the models for the characters, and the main characteristics of Johnny Bravo himself vary dramatically between seasons. Yeah, and and, and most of those uh, are superficial changes that just have to do with, well, he's as strong as he needs to be, or, well, we don't want a five-year-old girl lusting after him anymore. Um, <laughs> for the first three seasons, they kind of played around a lot with what exactly he was and found his, you know, found a lot of his traits pretty amorphous. Uh, his His intelligence varies pretty wildly, and there's a there's there's a huge there's a huge variance on like how likable he is from episode to episode but i think the real the real uh the real heavy kid on the on the seesaw to phrase it indelicately is the fourth season whom you know i i went and looked up a lot of reviews in uh uh, for this show and i mean there was a consensus among the fans the fourth has a dramatic has a definite drop in quality Mm mm-hmm yeah and like a lot of the characters that i strongly associate with the show didn't show up until the second season carl um, 
Yep. The way that they relied on references or, um, you know, in-jokes changed from time to time. It seemed like they were, well, to, if you don't mind, uh, I think that part of this is because a lot of the Hanna-Barbera toolbox was used in order to create this show, and that really comes right. through in the sound effects uh, and animation <laughs> beats. Right. Which are to die for. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about that. But, you know, we also see it in some of the format things. This is coming off the era of Scooby-Doo, where you always had to have a guest. And the show was Scooby-Doo starring uh, Gar- mm-hmm. Harlem Globetrotters. And the jokes would be all, hey, we're the Harlem Globetrotters. Why are we in this dumb mansion? <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's what Johnny Bravo seemed like it was trying to do at the beginning. Before yeah, it before kind of it's- found its feet. It it had guests, and then it got weird, and then it got rid of the guests and stayed weird. Yes, and I think to its to its uh, benefit. Um, and a number, uh, another reason why, you know, different parts of the show kind of vary in a lot of ways is there were a ton of different really talented, creative people working on this, and, you know, you can feel kind of the push and pull of their stories. Yeah. Um, so, Seth you know, McFarlane an episode, and Butch Hartman and Craig Bartlett, to name a few. John McIntyre, who did Flapjack. Um, Van Partable, when he worked at Cartoon Network, also worked, like, in the same room with Gennady Tartakovsky, Craig McCracken. Yeah. Like, he had so many influence from all these kind of, like, late 90s, early 2000 mainstream cartoon makers who, like... They went in wildly different directions. You know, Seth MacFarlane's work and Butch Hartman's work, like, are kind of unrecognizable from each other after five years apart from each other. Um, in in watching some Family Guy, you can kind of see some uh, continuing uh, threads, though. Not not you know inherently, just but but by dint of the fact that he wrote on that and then did Family Guy. You know, there are a lot of kind of non sequitur cut things where. Johnny will do a daydream back to a thing that couldn't possibly have happened or yeah. a lot of the physical violence uh portrayed through like large large like loud meaty thwapping sounds. <laughs> I th- I think this is the most obvious precursor of Family Guy. I think it, it the most. Well, I don't know if the most, but I I think well not, you know, the Simpsons. Yeah. But I think it took a lot of the like flavor of this show and imbued itself with it. It definitely has a kind of energy that you would later see in in, in Family Guy, but I, mm-hmm. I I think we're also talking a little bit too much about Family Guy now, so let's pull it back. When are we going to talk about Family Guy? Oh, I hope never. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, the first three seasons being produced by Hanna Barbera, I think, is uh is 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 a thing that we should definitely recall later when we get into animation yeah. and sound effects. Um, there's a little bit more in terms of the people uh, mm-hmm. that are involved in this. Uh, Van Partable interestingly kind of didn't go and do a whole lot else after this so much as he went to became a professor at a college teaching animation really yeah his old alma mater and where is that so that people can show their appreciation loyola marymount university and he actually created the character of this while working on a like a senior project um there was a couple of spin-off possibilities i want to say um, back in 2002, there was talk of a Johnny Bravo movie starring a fan of the show, uh, The Rock. That's ridiculous. I'm kind of into that idea. Well, I mean, I am into I mean, to both of the, you know, <laughs> the parts of it. Find and me I, somebody who could play him better. 
I well, I I think that a live action movie for Johnny Bravo can never happen, and I, I the reason for it is it's the same reason I wouldn't want a live action Lupin. Is that the such a core facet of Johnny Bravo is how surreal the plots are and how yeah, it, ridiculous the situations get. The surrealism makes a lot of what he does more okay than it would normally be. And, and that, that's, I think, what a lot of what we're going to talk about because behind a delightfully <laughs> zany show, you do have this misogynist meatbag constantly getting in women's personal space and very occasionally straight up assaulting them. So, yeah. you know, there, there are definitely problematic elements to this show that look very dated in looking back on them. And if you were to take the surreal elements out, you would just have a meathead being misogynistic. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I don't think I don't think the world needs that. Well, what's interesting about this show is Cartoon Network was going to pass on this show. They, they weren't going to take it. But there were three women at the network who really pushed for it. Really? Uh, I, I, the names here, Janet Mazzotti, Ellen Cockrell, and Julie Canerich. They wanted to keep it because, uh, and, and Partable wrote about this in a blog, they knew Johnny Bravo's in their real lives, and they wanted to see them get their comeuppance. Huh. So, yeah, that, like, that's interesting. I, I think there's a way to do this in a way that explains to the audience, no, you don't want to be like him. And we'll talk about whether they were successful or not. Yeah, I... I'm not sure on that. Um, the question is whether you can be exploitative of a stereotype or a negative character trait without somewhat embodying those stereotypes or character traits or being complicit, you know? Yeah. Um, which if, is if going to be a t- long conversation halfway through the podcast, so maybe we should drop it for now. Oh, we don't want to do that right now? <laughs> do we? I don't know. I feel like we should explain what this show is about. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the basic plot breaks down into i think two parts one of them johnny tries to woo some ladies like at the beach or something and johnny Uh, bravo is a um like we said a boorish sexist macho man who is elvis if he was still living at home and a mama's boy yeah didn't understand how the world worked yeah a little bit um and uh you know the half of the plot lines uh revolve around him trying to woo some ladies um, unsuccessfully, because all he knows is meathead macho antics, which I'm going to get into in a second. Uh-huh. But it does make him a very kind of um, fun to laugh at character, kind of like a leisure suit Larry. He's, uh, he's in, a lovable loaf. Are, are you familiar with the leisure shoot, leisure leisure suit Larry video games? I wish I wasn't. Yeah, it's it started as, from uh, Sierra and in the point and click adventure era, and then got kind of really out of. Uh, the, <laughs> Kind kind of got really uh, kind of got really bad later on. It it, it asked the uh, you know the classic game design principle of what if boobs? <laughs> yep, and and <laughs> have they ever answered that question? I, I think the answer is a resounding yes. <laughs> um, Survey says. Yeah. So, uh, but, but that's half the plot lines. Mm-hmm. And then the other half is Johnny in some wacky nonsense and or reference. Like Johnny steals a dinosaur egg, thinks it's a hamster, raises it, and it tramples the town like a kaiju film. And I want to I point out that those two parts intersect a lot. A lot of the time, him making goo-goo eyes at a woman drives the rest of it. So It's a consistent part of his character. So in one example, um, you know, he's making eyes at a woman in an art gallery she throws him down the stairs, he ends up in a sarcophagus, and now he thinks, oh no, I'm back in Egypt times, and he kind of deals with that. <laughs> yeah, and, and those are the situations I like a bit better. 
Yeah, um, when it's not just, hey, <laughs> I'm just going to harass women on the street. Yeah, let, let's embody some negative stereotypes for uh, macho men, horn dogs. And again, we'll talk about the, the problems with that, but I think it's also just less interesting of a story. It's less interesting, and it uses the it uses the pluses of this format less. Uh, we, we really don't need the entire... Uh, we we, we kind of don't need the entire orchestra behind Hannibal and Barbera behind our, you know, uh, guy trying to hit on some ladies unsuccessfully story. We absolutely right. need Hanna-Barbera behind, you know, uh, a remake of Terror at 20,000 Feet with a clown on the wing of the plane. It's, it's the difference between a Bugs Bunny cartoon and a Pepe Le Pew cartoon. Maybe the same amount of work went into both, but one of them is clearly better. Yeah, and, and it's because... Pepe Le Pew is a, is a bit more grounded, and Bugs Bunny kind of has a license to be as zany as he pleases, and, you know, they get a lot of mileage out of that. Well, Bugs is three-dimensional. He's got multiple motivations. I wouldn't say that Johnny really does. <laughs> no, that's my point. It, when he's more like Pepe Le Pew, that's when he, he falls down because of uh, that. Oh, okay. Um, I actually... So, Johnny Bravo is, is voiced by Jeff Bennett in probably his most iconic role. Yeah, we, just to name a few, we, we saw him in Land Before Time as Petrie. That's probably one of his earliest uh, movie kind of things. Um, he's a lot of Looney Tunes, a lot of the Weekender voices, uh, Colorado Kid, and I'm sure like countless other roles. He's a he's, oh, a, yeah. he's a huge cartoon star. <laughs> it's it's telling that the ones you were thinking of weren't even the ones I was thinking of. W- which ones you were thinking of? Uh, he was the narrator in uh, Dave the Barbarian. Oh, um, God, that narrator voice is superb uh he was a bunch of guys in freakazoid mm-hmm. um i'm sure he was on an animaniacs for a number of things oh sure he's busy he's a busy guy i think he does a very good job as as an elvis as an elvis impersonator though well, well he was the story goes he was told to do an impression and bennett asked do you want young elvis or old elvis <laughs> <laughs> and van partible was like uh both <laughs> and so he he found a nice middle ground, and he was hired because he went beyond the impression. He formed a new character. He did. Like, I mean, this is, I, it is an Elvis impression, but I don't think of this voice as being Elvis anymore. I just think of it as Johnny Bravo. Like, I had to be, I had to be reminded that this was an Elvis impression. <laughs> Believe it or not. Elvis is not the cultural touchstone that he once was. <laughs> Perhaps not. Because he's not, he's not like the one the who's pound. still alive but abducted by aliens. Now it's uh, uh, Tupac. So the the dimensionality of Johnny Bravo, I think, is one of those seasonal differences. Um, in the first season, he was much more, more, more of a jerk, still very sexist. Yeah, I feel like in the middle seasons he was more Forrest Gump. Like they still kept the sexism angle, but mostly he was just interacting with people in their own way higher stakes stories and just sort of muddling with it. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely that's definitely the case, and, and that causes him to be a lot more endearing and a lot less troubling which is why those middle seasons are my favorite uh-huh um but by not even a it's not even close like the the first season is fine you know i, I think it's a little bit formulaic and hasn't really found its feet and then second and third season just <clears throat> crush it it doesn't help that like the references they were using have not aged well like oh we found you a babysitter it's donny osmond yeah donny osmond it gets used for constantly in old cartoons I gotta, I gotta look up a lot of things now i have no idea why it's kind of like when we were ta- looking at animaniacs and they kept on wanting to bring in jerry lewis yeah but johnny in that season was also more of a jerk and he would say like let's play hide and seek and then donnie would go hide and johnny would just like be at home and donnie shows up his door like why'd you do that 
Yeah, I mean, like, that's not the jerk aspect that I really mind, though. No, it's definitely the sexism And he definitely treats Carl like that on occasion. I don't think that that is entirely removed from his character. He definitely sees uh, other people as either targets or annoyances. Um, Yeah, and that's that's kind of the common factor of Johnny Bravo is his immaturity and adolescentness. I kind of think of him as the ultimate adolescence. Uh, I mean, he he is kind of the poster boy, poster man child, really. Like this, <laughs> this is this hit takes a lot of the boxes for man child. You yeah, know, he's, he, he's presumably a grown up, a uh, grown up adult, but he lives at home and he's got very naive and innocent views and uh, doesn't tend to think about other people's wants or needs. So yeah, too much, too much of a boy for Man Island. Too much of a man for Boy Island. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I feel like that's a Simpsons reference, right? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. But what to do with? poor hugo too crazy for boys town too much of a boy for crazy town but he wants the trappings of adulthood but not the responsibilities uh he rejects his friends for not being cool or mature enough he's constantly making references no one else will understand i don't know if you ever dealt with teenagers and they're trying to explain something they're really excited about and you're just like i don't play Fortnite. Oh um, yeah, that's that's tricky. My oh I, man, I've got friends my age who play Fortnite, and I can't shut them up. So I can I, only imagine. I imagine how I would enjoy it a lot, but yeah, <laughs> I'm not I'm not doing that. So what's interesting is that uh, in regards to the fact that the show has adult humor, you know, uh, Johnny Bravo does get himself into some adulter situations. Um, there are you know a lot of plot lines that revolve around picking up women. Butch Harbin went on record as, and stated being con- that the show was uh, being concerned with the content of the episode wasn't their main focus. Um, so they didn't really care what went into the episode. <laughs> I'm confused by what that means. I, I don't know either. Like, I think they were just, I, I guess they were like looking for si- style over substance. And I can definitely see the merit of that. They when succeeded. you had the tools to, when you had the tools of great voice actors and a tried and true animation style. I can see the, I can see the wisdom in kind of letting your imagination soar a little bit. Yeah, and it's a little bit like improv. If, if it's moving fast enough, no one's going to care about the specific beats or like inconsistencies. Yeah, uh, and this show does move very fast. Like we're in a hair gel factory. Cut to frozen in time. Cut to the future. Cut yeah. to pops his diner. Cut to Big Brother. So uh, to, to to complete my thought about uh, the adult humor angle. Creator Van Partible remembers that no one was really watching Cartoon Network. And as far as content, they could kind of do whatever they pleased. (laughs) Yeah, this was right before it made it big. And that meant that they had a lot of, like... I don't think that many people were like kind of watching and recognizing that he was... I don't know. This this gets into the main tricky bit about looking at Johnny Bravo as this past show is how much blame is on the show and how much blame is on the era. Yeah. Like, Like... was it just that the censors didn't catch the fact that he kisses women without their consent? Or was it just, like, okay in that time? No, because, like, Animaniacs did that all the time. Like, uh, You're right. You're right. Like, That's true. It's, Hello, Nurse. It's, it's just a different level. Like, the veneer is the same, but they're, they're, it's working on a different thing. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to formulate it in my brain, and I think... I think we really need to set up more of the show before we All right. flesh that out and, and more. It's hard because we keep wanting to talk about it, but like because it's, well, I mean, it's the, it's the most engaging part of going back to this show. There's a lot going on in this show like, why that makes different? that aspect of it less of a botherance to me than it would normally be. I agree, and it makes me feel a little skeezy that I can let that sink into the backdrop. But uh, I mean, that is the case. 
Well, that's, I mean, I guess we are talking about it. That's kind of their fault. (laughs) Like, um, BoJack Horseman season five, right? Mm. Um, They they turn in on themselves. They do a self-aware discussion and they say, when you represent a flawed character, you might be doing more harm by normalizing the flaws and causing sympathy with the bad character than the good you're doing by criticizing that behavior, right? Yeah. The women pushed for Johnny Bravo because they're like, we want to see him get hurt. Not realizing that, like, we love seeing cartoon characters that we enjoy get hurt. Everybody loves Daffy Duck. Mm-hmm. The, the, the problem is, in creating an endearing character that you want to watch, you are now watching a character who is a rampant font of tax, toxic masculinity. And, you know, not everybody watching is going to pick up on those subtleties of, oh, he got hurt because he was chasing women and being very disrespectful. A lot of them will just associate, I like this character and this is his behavior. But my point is, is like media is still dealing with that and figuring that out even in today. Hmm. And so I totally believe him when he says, you know, that wasn't really our concern because no one was watching and look at everything else at the time. Like, I think it was the trappings of the time. I don't think it could be made today in the same way. But like, I'm I'm willing to give this a pass. Whereas with like, with Brave Star, I wasn't because they knew then. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can give it a pass. I mean... I can certainly still watch it and enjoy it, but like part of my brain is going to be kicking the back, you know, the back of my stem, Mm -hmm. you know, the entire time because I see something so problematic in it that I wish could just not be there. Maybe it's just the episodes I saw because every time I saw him interact with a woman, she was always like a career professional, very competent, immediately punched him or like, like the joke was always on him in a way where I feel like they understood better than other art at the time what was going on. Even if the veneer still exists. The the show does treat him as being in the wrong. It is a critique, generally, of the sexist attitude that he brings to the table, in which men deg- degrade women, even while lusting after them. Uh-huh. The problem is that we are still watching him do that with, you know, yes, there's uh, there's feedback, there's negative feedback that he gets from doing it, and yes, he's unsuccessful, but he's still captured our hearts, and he's still embodying all these terrible... Uh, these, these, these terrible things like going up to a woman and, you know, uh, so I'm I'm not defending that to to explain, to explain what I'm talking about a little bit more precisely. There is a line that gets crossed that I think needs to be addressed specifically for the line that it is, which is Johnny Bravo on the street corner flexes in front of women because that's all he knows about how to pick up women it, like which is actually a very funny character trait like that's right. what picking up women means to me it's like he saw it from his older brother but has no context yeah, it's a naivete it. it's an adolescence thing yeah he he wants sex but has no idea what that means it, it, he's a dog chasing cars sure uh and so so he goes and flexes in front of women and they walk by him and he like starts catcalling them and it's like they're not responding and he's being obnoxious. That's, you know, a pretty gray line. Yeah, he's allowed to do that. It's shitty behavior. Yeah. At the the point at which he goes in front of them and kisses them on the lips or picks them up over his shoulder, that's that's the line that we have to draw. Sure. That's the not okay bit. Right. And, and I did I didn't see those episodes. I saw approach a woman one on one while she's doing something, immediate negative repercussions to him. It, the yeah but but the thing is the negative repercussions are always him he gets beat up for looking for commenting 
or for assaulting. These are all equal things. I see. I see. So I, I think that it, that is the difficulty here. It, it's not that, you know, I don't think anybody who's over the age of six is ever going to make the mistake of, oh, he's, you know, he's the good guy in that interaction. Uh-huh. I, I think the problem is just that they are not treating it with a subtlety that gives the context for a viewer to say, oh, this is why he's wrong. Yeah. And, and, and this shouldn't still- be okay. And he's still lovable. I mean, his name is still the title. It's true. Yeah, um, and, and it, yeah, and and on a way that we don't even engage with whether or not he's treated well or rebuked by the show, we are still giving him a platform to talk and be himself. What I'm trying to figure out and maybe tease out is, you know, being uh, aside from the straight up, you know, assault aspect of it, which, as you say, exists. I didn't see a ton. I'm not going to defend that. Mm-hmm. But for the other parts of it, um, you know, I feel like in other media of the time, it was just as present. Why are we scrutinizing this work in particular when it wouldn't even occur to us to bring it up in, you know, something else? Oh, because it's a main facet of the main character. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is, as you said, this is the notion that everyone picks up on when they're like, oh, Johnny Bravo, I remember him, the failure horn dog. You know, it's, that is the bit that everyone remembers. People don't remember the affable at mama, mama loving attitude. You I know? see. They, they remember the failed gamesmanship of Johnny Bravo. Do you think the show wanted us to grapple with that issue? Or... Uh, if if it did, I don't think it did a perfect job of it. Because, okay, you do have a point because there's one episode that I kind of wanted to put in the spotlight for a second. And I know we're taking a long time on characters, but we're dipping in and out no, of time. No, this, so this, is, this is the meat of it. This is it. This is where it is. One episode is a sensitive guy episode. Did you watch oh, this? Oh, man, yes. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good in so many ways. Um, first of all, you know, it's the... Uh, it's the uh, Schoolhouse Rock uh, parody, because right. they did parodies in the first season. It's like the third episode. And they had Schoolhouse Rock back then. Yeah. Uh, and it shows, it, the Sensitive Guy episode shows that the era has transformed into treating the 80s macho man action hero, Hasselhoffian imagery, as not enough, and in some cases even detrimental. The Sensitive Guy comes in and he sees Johnny striking out with women and he says, Johnny, you got to show women your sensitive side. You got to be in touch with your, your feminine side. You got to be, you know, sincere and all these other things that Johnny just... M-A-N-N-E-R-S, that's the way to sure success. You don't need that hairy chest, you need manners. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, she's the lock and that's the key. Thank you, please, and pardon me, that's manners. She's your little chickadee, so treat her with respect. Call 800-ATT instead of just collect. If you try to flip her wig, simply just by talking big, she'll say you're a sexist pig with no manners. <laughs> and if you can fake that, you're in. That's the bit, right? He right. gets through the whole episode, and Johnny's like, I just don't get it. I'm just going to be me. It doesn't work for me. And then the guy's like, well, you know, I'm not really that way either. I just know it's what they want to hear. And so I fake it, and they love me. And then he gets called out on that, and all the women chase him down and start beating him up. And right. that is the that is the core of the message that I want to have watching a show like this. Yes, that Regardless, was the most self-aware it's ever been, and it was episode three. Yeah, and it never got that self-aware again, which is, you know, a shame. But it, it, it gave it, me it, hope that the people writing it knew that they meant this character as a critique that was supposed to show people... 
it's not okay to be this way, regardless of whether you're a macho meathead or conniving, you know, edgy uh, beta male. You you can't demean women in this way and be have it be okay. It, that's just not the yeah. That's just that's not where we can be anymore as far as masculinity is concerned. It's like they put it out at the front as if to say like here is our defense if this ever becomes a thing now we can use the excuse of we're not we don't know what we're putting in the show well i mean like it wasn't as much in the public spotlight back then you know there weren't Uh as many uh there weren't as many uh sexual abuse scandals coming out about very famous people back then it was you know it's it's kind of what's that we didn't care we also didn't care yeah and that there was so like i don't know if they were covering their asses so much as it actually was a value that they had as you said the few women who wanted to put it forward were like we deal with cat calls and we want to put this guy in his place maybe the talent writing the show did understand that to such a subtle degree it just it doesn't always come through Mm -hmm. and that can as you said do more harm than good yeah i think it does definitely you know fail on that mark because just because it's inconsistent and if you're only inconsistently not a jerk you're still a jerk I want to I want to stress that it's not about being a jerk because being a jerk is not necessarily sexist. It's just you're a shitty person. I think it's specifically shittiness in this way that needs to be called out. Because okay, we've had so, jerks yes. in we've had jerks in shows for as long as time remembers. Oh, I, I mean jerk in the specific way that this show does it. But yeah, it, I see. it's worth it's worth clarifying the exact ways that this fails. Yeah, um, I don't know why I'm able to ignore that during the episodes where it didn't come up and just say like for this episode where that wasn't a problem it i didn't have a problem with it for that episode and for the episodes where it did have a problem there was so much else going on that i I couldn't really focus on it here's the thing johnny is such a amorphously defined character that a lot of the time he's whatever he's is put on the screen Mm mm-hmm and, and you don't really have a lot of memory for how he usually is because the episode is telling you everything that he is, like, right in front of you. Like So so if he's... One of my favorite moments... I, I laughed out loud so much watching this show. Like, this show is extremely funny. There's no... <laughs> I, I know that we've kind of started off on a sour foot, which is totally an expression. But, you know, this show is very, very funny. And I laughed out loud so many times. One of the first times that I laughed out loud... It started off with Johnny singing, basically doing a sing in the rain thing. He was dancing around a light, uh, a lamppost, and then splashing in a mud puddle. And he's like, la 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 la. I'm a happy, happy boy. Good for me. And like, just, just gesticulating so happily. I'm like, I guess that's my Johnny. That's my character for this episode. Yeah, and you can take the one that you that you want or that the plot needs. I I agree. I think what I was trying to say is that that inconsistency is why I, I can't take offense at his antics because they're not consistent. Because I can I can read that as childishness or naivete. Maybe. Either on his part or that of the writers. And I shouldn't, but that's just how I'm used to seeing him. Yeah, and I'm not going to get on your case about it. Like, I, I think that treating no, him... No, I, I admit I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I know I'm wrong. I just can't feel otherwise. It, it's a little difficult, and especially because we are biased in coming to the show as people who like it, um, you know, historically. It, it's it's a little difficult to tease that out and, and keep it in the forefront of your mind. Uh, so so we, we, we went down a bit of a rabbit hole that we were going to go down at some point anyway. 
I guess it's good that we got it out of the way because now we can kind of indulge in the more, you know, charming aspects of this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. We we. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. I just had a billion metaphors pushing each other out of the way in my head to like cap what you said, but in yeah, a dumber I, way, and, and none of them worked. Let's well, just cut that out. I'm I'm kind of glad that you told me that you didn't say any of them though. So maybe <laughs> we can leave that in. Uh, what I wanted to talk about Johnny first is, you know, I'm not going to get back into the difficult, the, the, the troubling aspects of this, but I think that the way that he picks up chi- chicks in, in his own, you know, terminology, Vernacular. what I love is that it's not informed by actual, like, sexual desire. We, we, we've, we've talked, we, we touched on it it's, a little earlier. It's the trappings of adulthood. Yeah. He, he's just like... He's imitating what he saw as hunks or burly boys or, you know, he, he saw the classic uh, Vaso Profundo and was like, oh, that, that's what people like. That's what I should be. And mm-hmm. embodied all the character traits of it without understanding why they existed or what he was trying to do. Yeah, so he's he- going through his goth phase. But not goth. <laughs> yeah. So as opposed to like going up to a woman and asking her out like a normal person or, you know, doing uh, something chivalrous, the way that he interprets is women like guys with, you know, really beefy bods. I need to be flexing constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely all the time. It's a little kid's understanding of dating it is really that does... this one person... Like, this one person is going out with the quarterback. What does the quarterback have? Muscles. And just, like, that's as far as the, that's as far as the imagination allows there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, if, if you've ever interacted with teenagers to any degree, uh, boy adolescents are, are terrible. But <laughs> I mean, by and large, yeah. You know, if, if you say Uranus, like the planet, and they start snickering, like, all right, that's just a symbol of immaturity. I'm not I gonna. Mean, it's, it's I don't. I don't need to start a lecture to tell them they're dumb because they're gonna grow out of it. Yeah, that like yeah that that one is uh, that one's just a facet of age and not of character. Yeah, the the reason why the other stuff is hard to overlook is because you know that a lot of that gets worse. <laughs> yeah, age. and it's to other people and not just you know yourself. Right. But uh, I, I really like his understanding of a man's man is so superficial and contextless. Yeah, which you can imagine informed... a poster of Burt Reynolds up in the up in his bedroom. Absolutely, and it is informed by the fact that he does not have a father figure. Yeah, the character of uh, Bunny Bravo or Mama, Mama is really interesting. Oh, oh Mama, because she's combining a lot of aspects of motherhood into one character. Into mm-hmm. a completely believable mother character who raised little Johnny to be the way he is. Yeah, she and she is kind of like very dismissive when she senses bullshit, which is a thing that Johnny brings to the table with Carl. Like, I, I like that they kind of share this personality to some degree. Yeah, and it's like it's dismissive in the way of a of an adolescent who's doing something that you know is inappropriate, but like they'll figure it out where you don't go into a long thing. You're just like, OK, Johnny, let's move along. Uh huh. Y- yeah, you don't point it out because you've done it like a million times before. It's like you know how uh, when you're on a, like an airplane and somebody won't shut their kid up, um, uh-huh. and you know you can start to feel like why wouldn't they do that? That's terrible parenting. And then you stop and think about it, and you're like, this person has probably done this for 
six years plus and is just like they 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 have to be they have to normalize that because otherwise how are they going to live well i remember when i was teaching there were some like freshmen you know 14 year old boys who were just you know little bundles of chaos getting up in people's grill and like not my grill (laughs) and like you can you can sit them down and explain why they're wrong or you can yell at them or you can send them away but Sometimes the best thing is to just let their peers kick them in the nuts and then, and <laughs> like, then, like say that you didn't see anything. <laughs> as, as a hypothetical Snitches example. Snitches get stitches. <laughs> Everyone got stitches. So, they better. Yeah, but the the we can see why Johnny got that way by looking at how Mama is. Mm-hmm. Um, she smothers him with affection and and treats him like a little boy. But she, like, is also neglectful in many ways. Like, she'll just wander off for a while. Yeah, uh, during the episode where Johnny hatches a dinosaur egg, she's immediately, she, she, like, at first is like, I'm going to smother with so much love and affection. And then Johnny's like, aren't your soaps on? And she's like, ooh, think fast. And, like, throws the egg behind her. Yeah, she's got a ton of hobbies. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that, that does remain consistent with her character. And it does inform the fact that, Johnny is, you know, a, uh, you know, uh, is an egotistical man-child off his leash with yeah. no context for the world around him or any co- sense of consequence. Yeah, you're my perfect little boy. Um, you know, come help me. You know, grocery shopping. Oh, go run off on your own. I have things to do. She's she's, she's almost like, like an indulgent grandma figure. She, I, I think she like definitely probably said she, she definitely says boys will be boys to herself a lot. Oh, yeah. Like, how could she not? And while we're on the subject of blaming women um, <laughs> yep. for men's behavior. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have a finisher. It's just... Oh, good. I, I, you, you had to think that would connect to something. You, you would think. <laughs> and yet it turns out that's not... <laughs> that's a flawed premise. <laughs> uh, we can talk about the other side characters. Yeah. So um, Carl is... Carl Krasinowitz is the kind of stereotypical male nerd. Even though I kind of identified as a male nerd back then, and he's clearly very annoying, I never disliked him. Like, I thought he was always pretty pretty fun to be around. And he's voiced by Tom Kenny, who, of course, yeah. is SpongeBob and, and Dave the Barbarian. Very strong. <laughs> very strong SpongeBob. Yeah. Yeah, Hollywood nerd, played straight. Well done. Nothing particularly new here. No, but it, it's a it's a nice representation of it. You know, he, he's... He hits all the he hits all the beats I want. He's nasally. He gets really excited about nerd shit, and he doesn't kind of draw too much uh, focus. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's just pleasant. What this what this show does a lot of is put Johnny on the center stage because he's fun to interact with for the most part, and then put a bunch of like fun window dressing behind him in the form of side characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jack Sparrow paradigm. <laughs> you wanna you wanna float this up for me? Oh, you know, Johnny Depp, you know, dress him up, let him go. Everyone else is within this perfectly consistent, logical world. And he's he's walking through the set, guys. (laughs) Uh, So another character that kind of is uh, sprinkled into his madness uh, is this uh, little girl, Susie, who is the voice actress for this, Mae Whitman. Uh, I don't know if you looked at Mm -hmm. any of her roles, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, we saw her as Rose in American Dragon Jake Long. Well, I mean, yes, but long live. She, she also did a uh, did a lot of uh, she she did a reoccurring character as George Michael's uh, girlfriend in Arrested Development, which is I think 
you know, her. I think that she is the, I think that's the role that most people would probably know her from. But she's mm-hmm. also Katara from Avatar, The Last Airbender, as well as April O'Neil from the good version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 2012 version. And she's the little girl in Independence Day. Oh, how cute. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That character did a lot for, you know, humanizing uh, the bureaucrats involved. That's uh, good. But, uh, yeah, little Susie, smart, cute, good little little girl character. I think maybe um, we should take a step back and look at Carl and Susie and whoever else we want to talk about and how they comment on Johnny. Well, I think Susie in particular has more character than Carl. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, like, I think she's hanging around with Johnny for the same reason we are. Like, it's fun. He's fun. It, we get to have fun at his expense, but with the ex- expectation that nothing bad can actually happen because everyone around him is competent. She kind of um, seems a little Machiavellian or like Jimmy from the Cornfield kind of, you know, yeah, precocious and a little a bit ma- malevolent. There's the sinister energy that you know in every Girl Scout. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, you know what we're talking about. So, but yeah, Carl and, and Susie as sort of these representations of how to do adolescence right. Uh, and Johnny's just like, nope, not cool. I'm an but it adult. Makes, it makes sense why she likes him so much is because like... That's her age group, you know. He embodies like a six-year-old to, for, yeah. for a lot of for a lot of it, and so like a lot of fun stuff happens around him. So I don't know. I think that makes sense, and I think that uh, the Carl uh, pairing is is one of my favorites in the show. Is whenever Carl mm-hmm. and Johnny have to kind of interact together, like we get to see Johnny's kind of dismissive, not now, boy. My show is on kind of side. <laughs> yeah, that he learned from his mother. Mm-hmm. And. You know, I, I I think that Carl's dialogue is mostly pretty funny, even if it is stereotyped. Yeah, I, I didn't see enough of him. I saw a bit. I, I could have stood to see more. I think these side characters are really, they really punch up the show. You know, they're, they're whatever the extra, extra the scene needs. They're no deeper than their archetype. They're, you know, excitable geek, precocious child, shady business owner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> In in general, I think the side characters help divert focus from Johnny, which helps to propel the show a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Pops. Yep. Uh, Pops is voiced by Larry Drake, um, who was the guy in the Shindig episode of Firefly who sold cargo to Mal after he stabbed a dude. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the he, fact yeah, guy. Yeah, he does look like that. <laughs> yeah, it's one-to-one. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, fact, Pops should have been in Firefly. Bring so, uh, it back. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I bet he could. <laughs> uh, you you trying to grift me on this deal? Welcome to Pops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I they need to make an animated Firefly. I, it's the only way to continue the show properly. I buy it. I I yeah. And then we could talk about it, which would be great. I'd kickstart it <laughs> single handedly. Uh, <laughs> so I I wanted to take a minute and discuss uh, body types for a second. Mm. jump into animation before we talk about pops at length yeah classic circles squares triangles johnny's a real fun one because he's a reverse pair a la buck tud russell yeah i got that got that big old chest that's just for show yep and uh you know the the tiny waist and like the like little little twig legs um bunny bravo i think you know butch hartman worked on this guess where them hips is going out (laughs) yeah very very supportive and and warm nurturing kind of look Definitely a lot of definitely a lot of circles, triangles, and squares with Carl going on. Um, Susie's interesting because she had yeah. a dynamic um, character shift between the first and second season. She was the classic like 
oh, cutesy child character, and then she got those kind of sharp edges yeah. that belied her, her demonic nature. <laughs> demonic is a little strong, but I like it. <laughs> it's very strong. Yeah, it's got the power of a demon. How could I'm, it not I'm not going to stop until I've mischaracterized myself on every point about this show. <laughs> uh, and then Pops, Zane, how would you describe his body type? Um, I want you to imagine a lump of gristle that worked for like 50 years and is tired but can't stop moving. Yeah, almost like almost like he was really strong in his youth and then kind of, you know, he, he might have had like kind of a <laughs> kind of a strong man body. And then over the years, it sort of flattened out and he lost his uh, the hair that he was once really proud of. Are you saying that he was the like hype man at a carnival like a like a pt barnum and also the strong man through like a use of mirrors i I absolutely saying that but but pay attention to what i'm saying for a second because i'm gonna blow your mind okay so uh oh is that his (laughs) i see where you're going so johnny's attitudes towards people let's describe them for a second they roughly roughly fall into two categories dismissive annoyance toward carl and Susie and a bunch of guest stars um, or demeaning attempts at flirtation, all of the various mm-hmm. women. The yeah. exception of this is whom? His mama. His mama. Whom he loves dearly. He is very much a mama's boy. This teaches us two things. One, Johnny's dad has left a hole in this character. He tries to be macho, probably as a leftover piece of indoctrinated behavior from a deadbeat dad who left him before Johnny could feel any sense of rebelliousness. Mm-hmm. He probably idolizes his dad, as evidenced by the fact that he's using yesteryear's hairstyles um, <laughs> and, you know, including his presuming womanizing behavior. After all, what is Johnny's pet name for all of the women he chases? Mama. Hot Mama or Baby. He, he's like, he's very focused on family. Like, I think that this <laughs> you're, is... You're getting real Freudian here. I'm just saying, like, he's obsessed with family and he's trying to be like his dad, a woman who got a girl pregnant and then moved on. You mean a man who got a girl pregnant? A man who got a a man who got a girl pregnant and then moved on. Thank you. <laughs> a man who a little, got a woman pregnant. Come on. A man who got a woman pregnant and then <laughs> moved on. The, the important thing here is he moved on. Yeah, the important thing is we don't see him anymore. Or do we? Zane, <laughs> who we all the, saw this coming. Who is the only other person he shows any respect to, Zane? Himself. Pops. Always number one. The only other person he shows any respect to is Pops. He goes to Pops for advice. Pops plays like the father figure in his life. He's generally a sketchy sort of guy, but shows a strange fondness for Johnny. And mm-hmm. he rarely tries to take advantage of him. And he also treats most people with either dismissiveness or, hey, I can use this person for my own advantage. See where he gets it. Yeah. And he, yeah. you know, he seems to be, you know, he kind of like Johnny. He, he has a smile on his face whenever he comes in. Pres- Possibly out of a sense of guilt or a sense of, you know, oh, this boy is growing up like his old man. It, it's kind of too good of a conspiracy theory. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it's like the level of uh, in Bucky O'Hare, the pro- like the show is propaganda. Like, yeah, we know. Yeah. Um, not, I mean, not, is to, it? not to short sell you. It wasn't immediately obvious, but there is only one adult male character in this show. But now that I've laid out the fact that they are identical body types if you age him 20 years and the fact that they have the same you know uh propensity for mistreating people no it it makes sense i just i just crave your validation on these things zane i just i don't know what plot you could get out of that like this show does not take itself seriously enough to do that certainly not this show absolutely not this show but like 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 a reboot starring the rock perhaps (laughs) oh god's willing (laughs) i don't know Do do you think that has legs 
Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I'm curious why he stayed in the same town. It does. Because Did he, like, like, sow his oats and then after a lifetime on the road realizing that it hasn't fulfilled him, he goes back to the one town where he felt anything but realizes that he can he can't uh, bring himself to pick up where he left off because it's shameful. Ooh, Zane, your your rebound is delightful. <laughs> and he works at a diner because, uh, oh God, food. Well, not is not everything good. needs to be you know equivalent. Mm-hmm. Not everything needs to be explained. <laughs> I, I I just I I really like that all the pieces fit together, even if it signifies nothing. Yeah, it's surprising given that these characters can lack depth. They're not they're not terribly one-dimensional, but they're not terribly three-dimensional either. Yeah. Um how consistent their world seems to be. Not with ours, I mean, but in general. It is it, it is harkening back in some ways to the Hanna-Barbera era of no ontological inertia. You know, they are mm-hmm. going to reset after every episode. They're going to start from zero. So even if the characters are not that complex like the we we we're, we kind of know what we're in for from the start, and that gives us a really good basis for accepting whatever's thrown at us. Uh huh. And uh, I'd like to move into like the uh, tone and genre of this. Absolutely. Because I'd like to talk about how this show throws things at you. Uh, it's split into three segments per episode instead of two, and I think that's a great choice. Yeah, really so, works for the plot light shows like this. So let's let's talk about the format because we we kind of skipped over it, but uh, as you say, three versus two. I think it later became two in the fourth season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then instead of you you know to to, to kind of tie some of those segments together, we also have these little quickie bits, which I think are funnier than they should be. <laughs> okay. Um, I just want to get them out of the way so we can get to the three segment approach. Did did you? uh enjoy any of these I, I didn't really i can't call any of them to mind i remember a lot of them from my childhood i still remember johnny being on a game show and his final question is can you name the four food groups and he's like <laughs> meat dairy beef jerky and a garden hose <laughs> i do remember that and then he eats and then he's like and he gets the question wrong he's like oh man this game is rigged and takes a bite out of the garden hose and that's it that's, that's the entire joke yeah i didn't see any of those in the episodes i watched but that yeah i do remember that I saw a lot of them. Um, I remember everything. <laughs> yeah, th- there's there's one of them where he's uh, where he's playing chess against a supercomputer. Oh yeah, and he it's just he has no idea how to play chess, so he just infuriates and then causes the computer to misfire. So he's like, "What's the little horsey thingy? That's a knight. Can I move like this? No, king me. This is chess. <laughs> hey, look, I'm a Martian and like using the using the pieces to like put little ears on himself. And uh, yeah. I mean, it's, they're, it's, they're just fun little things. It's so fast and tight, the way these episodes work. There's no chaff. Uh, they kind of remind me of the... Uh, th- those little bits remind me of the quickie segments from Garfield and Friends, where mm-hmm. they would just do a quick strip comic in between the actual yeah. cartoon bits. But here, the show itself is, actually has a baseline of good. And because... Uh, and, you know, it's much more surreal, so it's able to pick up and put down whatever concept they want. Mm-hmm. As for the normal shows themselves, mm-hmm. um, the normal episodes, they stick in the mind. Like they're they're all distinct because this character can go anywhere, do anything. He's he's Forrest Gump two point Yeah, he um, really is. So like I can say like oh it, it's like friends show naming like the one where his abs turn into Mount Rushmore, and you you know every plot beat of that episode. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> 
But you remember it now. You know. I do. Oh, he got a bow flex. Oh, he used it wrong. His abs look like Mount Rushmore. Pops monetizes it. He get The fame gets to his head. He eats too much. His abs are ruined. He tries to fix it. And now his entire body's deformed. End episode. Yep. You know it. <laughs> I do. You I could do. probably guess it if you didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is It is not terribly complex. You say like, okay, this episode, the central premise is his abs look like Mount Rushmore. I will tell you that Pops spends the uh, has the second amount of focus in this show, and that we go through the themes of vanity and greed. Go. Once we once we get to the point of abs look like Mount Rushmore, I agree. I don't think it's obvious how you get there. Like that, <laughs> <laughs> there's an episode where Army where Johnny joins the army, um, and you would never guess how they get there because he gets there in the dumbest way. He wants to join dodgeball camp. Uh, but gets hit with a bunch of dodgeballs, and so he's woozy and accidentally so- joins up for the army. <laughs> I will modify. Once the episode gets to its midpoint, you know how it will resolve. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, these episodes get wild. <laughs> like, they can do whatever. Yeah, let's talk about the surrealness of the jokes. Mm-hmm. So they, they a lot of the time, when they make a joke, it, it, they're, they're not reinventing the wheel. There are a lot of classic sitcom kind of humor, um, and they tend to go past the point where it's funny, to a line where it's even funnier because of how ludicrous it got. Right. So uh, what I want to... So there's one episode where Johnny goes and pretends to be a lifeguard, which I'm sure is a felony of some sort. And... <laughs> hmm. Now, now I'm wondering. <laughs> and he, he... In an effort to save someone so he can show how good he is, like how macho he is so that girls would fawn over him, he throws Carl into the ocean and then tries to save him only to realize that he doesn't know how to swim and then right. Carl saves him. Right, Car- classic, Car- classic misdirection. Yep, Johnny uh, has to be given mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Yeah, it's a little ret- retrograde, no homo kind of humor when Johnny freaks out when Carl's about to kiss him. But you know, it is consistent with his you know toxic masculinity. Very possibly homophobic character. He screams classic jokes. The part where it gets ludicrous is where, in an effort to kind of you know get the taste out of his mouth, he rubs sand on his tongue and then a hairbrush and then a starfish. <laughs> <laughs> and when he gets yeah, to the starfish, yeah, that visual of him licking a starfish, yeah, and like and, that could be desktop wallpaper right there. And it's got like this scratching slash like window squeegee sound effect to really mm-hmm. sell it. And that's the point at which the surrealness of the format really pays off, right? It's I I put a uh, I put an image up in the uh, in the show in in the on the Facebook page mm-hmm. with no context because I love doing that, <laughs> where. Johnny is in a spacesuit and is holding an inflatable rubber duck with that beautiful one eyebrow lifted. Yeah, oh, that eyebrow is beautiful. And he's looking right at the duck butt. And so I'm like, oh, this is, this <laughs> yeah, is some bias from Ben's corner. Uh, yeah, and, and so, so the plot of it is that he somehow wound up on a space station, accidentally filed the, fired the rocket. And now the only way to make it back safely is to create, uh, let's see here. Carl tries to guide him to fix the rocket so he can get back to Earth. By saying, okay, you have to make this complicated engineering device, and the only parts available to you are these. And Carl dumps, like, a box out that Johnny presumably has in the spaceship, and it has a piece of string, a ham and cheese sandwich, and a live cat. 
<laughs> and it's like, oh, the joke is like, there's no way he's going to pull this off. And then he starts like just fiddling with his arms off screen and then pulling back random objects. Yeah. And when he's fiddling with the objects off screen, you very distinctly hear a cat screaming, like a cat growling <laughs> sound effect. I don't know. The, the, the combination of it's so fucking wacky and nonsense combined with the fact that they're really milking the uh the the sound effects i it just it combines to make very funny jokes you like uh, i fiddle with it okay i've got a tire all right let's try fiddling with it again all right now i got an inflatable rubber duck yeah and and the the critical thing here and the reason why like this show works is like that works so much better than the episodes with the sexism they don't need that part of it they don't and and I, I think they were relying on it as a crutch just to fill plot thoughts. Like they said, they weren't thinking about exactly what happened. If you were able to cut out that and keep that that wonderful, like, reach off, what's what's the fun? You can imagine writers in a room saying, what's the funniest next object? Yeah. The, the, the that next just object barely they pull back fits in that in Venn diagram, but not quite. Jack in the box is the next right. one that they pull back. It's like, you could you and, could have guessed that based on the All right, well, what's two. in the Jack in the box? Is it something else? <laughs> yeah, is it a can of beer nuts? <laughs> yeah, cream pie. And so, like, if if you just had that, this show would be ripe for a reboot of mm-hmm. it right about now. On the uh, Clown on the Wing episode, the, the, the spoof of the Twilight Zone episode, uh, Terror at uh, 20,000 Feet. Uh-huh. Or 30,000. I can't remember what that's metric. Um, up in the air. Yeah, up in the air. Uh Anyway, it's the clown on the wing episode where Johnny keeps on seeing clowns on the wing, uh, a clown on the wing that is trying to destroy the plane and or irritate him. Right. And he gets sick of it. And eventually, to resolve the plot, he pulls out a package from underneath the chair that says on it, in case of evil clown, pull string. And he pulls the string and the package opens and inside there's a sexy lady clown to distract the regular clown. It's, <laughs> it's really it's really something. <laughs> Now that much is just surreal enough, and he's like, "Okay, that was that was pretty goofy." Then Johnny goes to sit down. You know, he's relaxing. He he got rid of the evil clown, and all of the airline is mad at him. Like the pilot, the stewardess, everyone comes over and is like, "What have you done? How are we supposed to land the plane with only one clown?" And it pans outside, and on the other wing of the clown, there's like a clown that is holding two parasols and just doing his darndest, trying to like, I don't know communicate through semaphore he's just gesticulating and he's uh-huh. clearly having a lot of trouble yeah like and that's that's a great like in, subversion of expectations in a way that it's still consistent with the way this world operates like yeah the creative minds behind this show were masters of like therefore storytelling instead of and then storytelling yeah that, that yeah that's a good way to put it they're, they're not really but it's I, never the obvious thing right it's like no. an improv when you get the same a suggestion twice in a row the second one's got to be wackier almost by definition and these guys found a way to do the wacky one first i i, I would definitely say that it's like a triumph of av- imagination on the writer's part not every writing team can handle having all of reality open to them as a way to make a punchline like a lot of times you're 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 kind of shoehorned in by needing the plot to resolve a certain way or to remain consistent with a character and those those uh those stipulations were not there, so they could do whatever they wanted. And so, like you know, I I've grappled with the paralysis of indecision in my life. When you have the whole world open to you, it's very difficult to make things happen. So, like, amazing job by the writing staff of this of this show. 
Yeah, they, they found a way to take the most abstract wackiness and make it palatable for a general audience. Yeah, and it is, it is like, extremely palatable. It's not like a relic of, like, oh, only kids who like nonsense humor are going to get this. No, this has excellent comedic timing and really knows how to, you know, make you look over here and then hit you with this thing. Yeah, stretches your brain for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned The Clown on the Wing as a reference to Twilight Zone. We need to talk about the parody and reference aspect of this sure. show. Sure. Um, beyond even just the Hanna-Barbera characters, which, like, they're always showing up. They are. Um, there's also a long list of iconic retired characters who make cameos. Um, we mentioned Donny Osmond, Farrah Fawcett, kind of that. Re- like they don't, they're not good references now. Yeah, the the idols and and celebrity celebrities and superstars of yesteryear. Mm-hmm. And like it, that was fine when they were things that our parents knew, but we didn't. But it is now what our parents parents knew and we did and then yeah, it's, a, it's a little like i knew who farrah fawcett was from this show yeah barely um i barely sometimes it works context. really well though like this is why adam west became a regular in family guy yeah because he's I, just I forgot playing him this this ridiculous james bond version of himself mm-hmm. um and of course pairing the shows you know you can have because our world is so non-specific and wacky you can just say oh we're doing a mary poppins thing today yeah uh, but there's also less obvious references like johnny bravo says as a diversion like look over there he says look it's mookie wilson and Susie says who because she does why would she know who mookie wilson is i don't know who mookie wilson is <laughs> and a lot of the times when he makes a reference people say who yeah which I think is brilliant because it drives home the fact that, like, he's a teenager who nobody, like, he has a ton of interests that he's way into that, like, just nobody knows about. There's a uh, there's a really awesome bit in Venture Brothers where Hank idolizes Brock, you know, the, the bodyguard of the family, because he's a super cool secret agent. Mm-hmm. And the bodyguard is modeled after uh, uh, Race Bannon, for the most part. Sure. From uh, Johnny Quest, which means that a lot of his affectations are very like 70s and 80s and, you know, complete with mullet and uh, the fact that he it, like his idolatry for uh, Led Zeppelin is kind of a running gag in the series. It's like why that's like a pretty old reference, dude. And then Hank takes the tape like in an actual tape deck and plays it in a tape as opposed to the Internet and just like idolizes being able to play his dad's old songs mm, for yeah. him or, or you know his 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 idols old songs for himself i feel like maybe that happened with johnny where like his dad used to make these references and johnny thinks that they're cor- the correct references to make because they are like <laughs> the person that he idolizes made these references right i don't know that's just a thought it's, it's it's unclear where he found out about all these things because he's so naive in every other manner of life that, that is true. It, it uh, like does, a kid who's raised on the TV would be. It does beggar the imagination a little bit. But, you know, the, the great thing about having a show this crazy is, like, you can give it you can give it that uh, that pass without too much Anything trouble. Anything goes. Anything goes. Johnny might be very well read in an episode. It doesn't really... It, it changes nothing. Um, I, a couple other references and parodies that I think work pretty good are when they do the Twilight Zone, they call it the zone where normal things don't happen very often. Which sure. is pretty obvious, but it's a nice kind of let's mangle this awesome phrase into a thing that makes no sense and is very difficult to say. And Futurama did it better, but it took longer. 
In general, yeah. it, it has to be punchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, I remember very distinctly one episode where he was trying to clear his name for probably littering, and you know, just because like that's a very, you know, uh, that's a very pedestrian thing to get in trouble for, and he's constantly says, "No, it wasn't me. It was the two-armed man." You know, like the only <laughs> thing that he remembers about the guy who actually did it was that he had two arms. Yeah, and it's, two, a very, and it's a whole big plot point thing. It's a very clear reference to the fugitive, right? Um, which again is probably not <laughs> not a reference that most people know. Yeah, except maybe through watching the mask. Cartoon Network did not know about the fugitive. Well, except through maybe we just thought a it was funny parody. that he specified, oh, a two armed man, because I'm like, yeah, as opposed to what? And well, the 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 reference that I knew it from was from the mask, where he says, "It wasn't me. It was the one armed man." Uh-huh. And you know, so that became my reference, my basis for the parody, and it's still funny off of that. Reference humor seemed to be really big in the '90s. Yeah, and that is that is true. I'm not sure, like, is it still happening and we just don't watch those shows or what? I don't know. I, I think that, well, let's... let's And also, like, it, the reference humor that works in Johnny Bravo because they bring in characters that they flesh out. Let's throw the mind back a bit. Uh, in the 80s, we had the era of uh, merchandising for yep. cartoons. You know, everything sure. was led around by the G.I. Joe figures of that era. And the, the cartoons were more or less an afterthought. Uh, cut to, we get into the 90s, and syndication is actually really taking off. Now we have the idea that we can make shows, but we don't really know what to market anymore. So we do end up with a lot of things like uh, the Scooby-Doo guest stars to try to draw people in through like, the oh, guest those star. those way power. earlier than the, than the 90s. Well, sure, but Johnny Bravo apes that formula as well. Yeah. My, I my think point- the 90s was emblematic of like, we need to make things that kids will watch again and again. And so there was more of an emphasis on... On, like, formula? On kids being the characters. Hmm. Maybe. Um, there was a lot more wackiness and wildness in the 90s than in the 80s. But think, kids were tend to be at the center of it. I think the, the, the idea that they made a lot of references in the early 90s is, is a valuable one. Because that's exactly what happened with Animaniacs. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Tiny Toons. And... Harvey Birdman? Maybe. I don't know if that we can really... That, that's a space, difficult string oh, to tie, tie into this. But but my point is that, like, it might have been that they just didn't have a... They didn't have a great idea of how to make humor with their characters, so they made <laughs> it with their writing. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, because, you know, the... The, the characters themselves are fairly interchangeable. You know, you used to have those Cartoon Network bumpers where all the characters were interacting with each other across shows. And like, it was very believable because these characters can adjust, but what happens mm-hmm. in their shows stays in their show. Yeah. A uh, quick tangent. Yeah. I've been mulling this idea over in my head that like in the 2000s era cartoons, heroes were like kind of bad boys. Like they were like they had a dark streak or they were cynical or oh, yeah. jaded or whatever. This is the Dark Knight kind of grimdark uh, fantasy era of, uh, you know, everybody getting kind of noir. Yeah, there, there was a moral grayness there, but it always reflected on the heroes. And then in the tw- in the teens, in the 2010 era, uh, now the heroes were good but flawed, but so were the villains. Uh, can you give me some actual, like, uh, can you give me some examples for that? You know, I'm thinking of, like, Adventure Time. Um where the the Ice King is like a like has a tragic backstory that caused him to be the way that he is. Oh yeah, he he gets a little Shylock. You know, I'm I'm. Hmm. What? I don't think that's the right. That's a Koji uh, reference. reference. 
Is it? The entire thing about Shylock was that he was, you know, he wasn't exactly a villain. He was, he was a, he was a. a okay, f- yes, in, in that sense, yes. Yeah, it, he wasn't, you know, evil. He was a yeah. misunderstood, uh, you know, person who definitely did some bad things. But like, he has definitely, he's definitely colored with a shade of humanity. Yeah, as well as I, I meant to say that he wasn't losing his mind. Oh um, no, maybe by the end of it. You know, I'm just thinking of, uh, uh, you know, Steven Universe does this a fair bit. People that we thought were our enemies can be reasoned with and talked to. Yeah, it's it's definitely a more hopeful message than the bleaker one uh, from the from the decade past. I, I don't know what really drives that, though. Yeah, I, just something I noticed. Like, 80s, very obvious good versus evil. And then 2000s, good, good can be bad. And then 2010s, bad can be good. And then I'm just thinking of the 90s and like, everything was just kind of weird for a while. I, I mean, we should also note that that was uh, kind of our big experimental playground for how animation could work. Yeah, it you was. Know, we, it we, was we didn't have many <laughs> options in the 80s. When we got to the 90s, things started really opening up. So After, after the meteor that was DuckTales, there yes. was a period of rapid evolution. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Creating Vandal Savage. Um, all right. Uh, I'm good to, to get back on task and finish up the show. Sounds good. Uh, I, I want to uh, I want to go into animation now. Yeah, there's a lot of, of neat, subtle things here. Yeah, the so uh, the eyebrow thing is definitely something we should call out specifically because it's great. Mm-hmm. Especially because it's accompanied by a nice little sound cue every time. The whoop. Yeah, a lot of Johnny's movements specifically are um, are coupled with uh, sound effects, and we see this in Fairly Odd Parents too. But for there, it's it's every character. Here, it just, like, Johnny moves so staccato and has such great facial expressions that you need to spice it up a little. Yeah, because he's got way too much energy. Yeah, you hear whoosh lines whenever he moves. He, he yeah. got into the sugar. He, yeah, he got into the cookie jar. He's too tall for Mama Bravo to be able to hide it. That's the problem. <laughs> there was one episode where he's like, the thing I like about sugar snacks is I eat them all at once and I get way too much energy. And then there's that nice crash. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, and so he's constantly, like, doing karate poses with these, like, Almost comic booky and you know Banff <laughs> I sound forgot effects. He loves karate. He's just an adolescent trying to be cool. A- absolutely, dude. The mullet, the karate nonsense, everything about him is is so is so trying to be cool from the decade past. Didn't you have a mullet and do karate? Um. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> But I also like the contrast of his style versus everyone else because they're they're kind of from a slice of life thing. Um, you know, there's there's simplistic backgrounds. Everyone else moves in a much more subdued way. It really makes Johnny feel larger than life. Uh, yeah, and his color palette is pretty different from everyone else's too. I mean, mm-hmm. it it doesn't mean anything in particular, but the fact that he's wearing black and everybody else is wearing a lot of color does make him pop a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the James Dean kind of effect. Yeah, yeah. He's just a little edgy and everyone loses their minds. <laughs> the, the 50s style. parents are all like, how could they show a motorcycle in this show? Oh, God. So edgy. The 50s that were the 70s. <laughs> the style of Johnny Bravo, interestingly, is inspired by Al Hirschfeld's work. Um, so he was known for making caricatures of famous Hollywood stars. Um, Johnny's head is actually based on a caricature of Richard Davalos. Mm. Um, I don't know but- who that is. But what I like about this style, the character-esqueness of it, is it really helps bring those famous character cameos in without making the show clash. 
How do you mean? So like, um, if if our characters seem like caricatures, like you, you know, you get a caricature done at the fair or whatever, and it's like really exaggerated facial stuff, and you can you can sort of see like, oh yeah, I know what Tom Hanks looks like. I see what you did in that photo in this sure, caricature to make like him a look like Tom cartoon. Hanks. Yeah, and so they do that with the famous people, Donny Osmond, Farrah Fawcett, Adam West. And you can see it. You can see, oh, this is that person in this world, and it always fits. Shh, I don't know if it does. I, they always look pretty uncanny valley to me. They made Weird Al and Don Knotts and the Blue Falcon all look like they existed in the same universe. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. It's, it's not that they look real, but they look as unreal as everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is true. And that's a benefit of the surreal attitude that the show has. Is that you're allowed to do that and it's pretty easy. I like that uh, Johnny Bravo is uniquely without facial, without like a lot of facial features. Yeah, facial movements, yes, but facial features, not so much. Frequently, his mouth disappears. We never see his eyes. His, you know, uh, the. I mean, like everybody my else glasses. has. What's I can't that? be seen without my glasses. Oh yeah, another reference that uh, this show does really well is the Scooby Doo parody episode. Which let's just go ahead and put it up in the show notes and never talk about it again. <laughs> I feel like we got to talk about it. I mean, it's so good. It's so. Str- it was their second episode. I know. <laughs> this was before they knew what to do. They're just. They're just like, hey, Hanna Barbera, you got a lot of unused assets that you need to keep the copyright on, right? Man, that that was the second episode. The third episode was the sensitive guy schoolhouse rock thing. Like, this could have been a different show if it just continued with that formula, and I'm glad it changed, but there was some real gold in that first season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the trick is, like, what do you do when he's on his own? Uh-huh. Yeah. And luckily, uh, he can do pretty much whatever he wants. <laughs> uh, I think that the, the, the storyboard cards are worth mentioning. Okay. So whenever an episode starts, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, it generally has a pretty low-res version of Johnny in some low-res background, and everything is weirdly color-shifted. So the scene will be like, Johnny is in a mascot costume standing at attention in a minimalist football field. But the colors shift a few times and make the the scene look, I mean, I'll say it again, very surreal. Yeah, it's like a JoJo's panel. I was going to say, it's exactly the same thing they do in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Is They, they, they make you very uncomfortable by, well, let's, let's make Johnny's skin green and the sky purple now. You know, and they, they do that every couple of seconds until the show starts. And it just, uh-huh. it, it it's feels a very, like high art. It's a very, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like Lament a, of the Working Man. It's like Mr. Soup Cans himself. <laughs> Bravo, Johnny. Bravo. Oh, that's good. I I was inspired by my work with a common man in the town of Aaron City. <laughs> the little mincing afterwards is great. <laughs> Replace all ums with mincing, and like you raise in status several several yeah, that, tiers. That's all it takes. Um, yeah, I, I I do like the those little intro interlude things. It's just to destabilize us and, and remind us that, audience, be ready for whatever we're going to do, because... It, it's a palate cleanser. It is. It's, it's, it's like, a palate cleanser in a very RuPaul way. We know that By he was... By giving us a lot was, of weird palates. We know that he was an, 
uh, unrepentant womanizer in the previous segment. Now he's going to be a doting mama's boy. Yeah. Um, so scene wipe. This is the visual ginger that we're giving you. <laughs> what is, what's my motivation? I don't, I don't know. Here's a box of emotion cards. <laughs> <laughs> like cue cards for the audience? Like sad now. This is what sad looks like. <gasps> no, I, I mean like faces with like, oh, he's crying. Like, uh, uh, that, yeah. use that. <laughs> do you have any, uh, is it, since we're talking about, like, the insane kind of starts the show does, do, do you have any episodes that you really liked? Uh, kind of how zany they got? Yeah, like the, the, the hair gel one, where he's touring a hair gel facility that, of course, he's been to a million times. He doesn't listen to the safety protocols, and he falls in a vat of hair gel. Everything that comes after it. carbonite for 500 years. Yeah, everything that comes after it. It's like it's like on The Simpsons. You know, okay, they come up with the central idea first. They come up with A and B and C plot. And then they figure out what's a good entrance to all of that that doesn't relate to it. Here, mm-hmm. the episode is six minutes long. So the entrance is going to be like 45 seconds. And it's always killer. <laughs> like, it tells me exactly what I need to know. And, and the, the content of the episode like even though it might be a weird thing like why is big brother there being weird we always know how johnny's going to react to it he's going to fly a f- fly in the face of authority dare i say a rebel without a cause and just you know generally be irritating and offend people's sensibilities until he gets beat up and and and, and it's satisfying knowing how he's going to react to any situation cuz that means we can do any situation <laughs> <laughs> and we're always going to get the same johnny Oh, he's on a new planet, but there's Babelians and scene. <laughs> and we got it. Oh, he's he's on an intergalactic game show where they're trying to test his brains. Oh, he's going to fail into success. Got it. Mm-hmm. Fail into success is, I think, a nice way that they do the comedy uh, that doesn't put too much pressure on any one sort of uh, load-bearing characteristic of this show. It also saves Johnny from being a classic kind of punching bag. You know, he does uh-huh. get beat up a lot and, and kind of... Bad things happen to him a lot, but in a Kramer way, whenever he fails into success, it's like we're giving him a break. It's like, you know, that that's the that's the bone do we throw to that dog. Yeah, yeah. I'm it, I'm gonna be an idiot. Please subscribe to my Patreon. That that's really yeah. <laughs> it, it's sort of like how Skeletor was uh always pretty impotent, but because mm-hmm. they didn't want him to be entirely without menace, every so often they had a team up episode and he was like legit. Sure. And he got to kind of flex his muscles a little bit. Yeah, there's a balancing act there. Or in Shaolin Showdown, where every week we win one of the, you know, artifacts, but every so often the bad guy comes in and steals them all back. You know, so we, we can continuously have the same kind of plot line with ever actually it becoming too obvious what's going to happen. Uh, I, I And I think all of the shows, all the episodes in this are grounded by that very quick intro that we see, where we it just reinforces and hits us over the head. This is... A fast-paced, wacky show about a guy who's wrong. About about a guy who's self-obsessed with a thing that doesn't. It doesn't transpose accurately onto the world around him. It is there's the the people are not picking up what he's putting down. Right. But he doesn't understand that it's a different world. He doesn't notice. Yeah. Studley, check the pecs. Hoo ha hoo. Man, he's I'm like ready. um, <laughs> he's like Homestar Runner in a lot of ways. Um, and I think Homestar Runner is kind of like a more niche version of how to do this show without that toxic masculinity aspect, but the central characteristics of like naive failing upward is, is still there. I think that 
Johnny definitely has a lot more personality than Homestar, though, because Homestar is just a randomness joke machine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really have any personality to him. Johnny is definitely like an insecure man child, and that is a very fun way to make jokes happen. Mm-hmm. Do in, you think they could have succeeded ways. in conveying that to the same degree without the sexism? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, like that's where we ended up in a lot of episodes. I, I don't see, I don't see why the sexism is necessary other than to like. I, and again, it's not that it's sexist; it's that it's assault. Like it, he right. could have been machismo-focused, you know, girl-chasing weirdo. Who, yes, he's sexist because he's demeaning. Uh, but like it, it, that can stop at just like flexing and objectifying women, and I think it would still be fine. Okay, I, w- I was using it as the catch-all term for all of his behaviors. Yeah, again, we just you just have to draw that line. Um, but I, I do think that like. His, you know, his ability to ad lib off of nonsense is is so strong that the other the other aspects of his character don't really need to don't need to fill much time. They're not as mm-hmm. necessary. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that makes I think that makes sense. I, I really love his character too. Like it, it says a lot for how strong that bit of the character is for me to get past my, you know, I'm sure is wearying to some people kind of uh, progressive minded ideals to get to a character that I actually really like in spite. Of those difficulties. Well, this is why I have such a why why I spend so much time trying to tease apart, you know, how a show does this and how you think about it. Because I'm still trying to form my opinion on separating art from society mm. and how and what my comfort is comfort level lives with that. And I think for something like this, where there is that nostalgia that you know, usually I'm pretty good at putting away. Here, it's a little bit harder. I don't know if I'll ever be able to, you know treat it the same way i would something today yeah well the thing is and this is something i'm kind of just learning a lot uh especially recently is, is that you just you have to be comfortable rec- with enjoying a thing that is problematic and that mm-hmm. is hard you know it, it it's not that you are being dishonest or in ungenuine to accept a thing except that you're enjoying a thing that has problems in it it just makes you human um, mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, I think it's harder to accept that you are inconsistent than to um, deprive yourself of a lot of enjoyment for the sake of uh, for, for the sake of putting yourself on a pedestal. So to give you an example of that, uh, Ethan, uh, my boyfriend, showed me, uh, what was it, Vision Quest? It's an old 80s movie about a wrestler, and there's some really heinous stuff in it. Uh-huh. Um, but I enjoyed the movie overall because of how much positivity it had to it in kind of a follow your dreams sort of way. Uh, a more cogent example, the first Rocky movie. I don't know if mm-hmm. you ever actually saw it. I haven't. I only saw the one where he's old. I, I, I shamefully only watched the first Rocky movie within the past like two years. And I was really dismayed when we get to a scene where he's, you know, romancing Adrian and it, the 80s version of romance is her saying no and him kissing her anyway. Right, right. Which which is very difficult to to watch and be like I don't I don't want to see him anymore. But his character is also like really charming. He's got like he has these two pet pet turtles and he names them Cuff and Link. <laughs> like that's so cute. And it you know, is. he's cute in a lot of other weird little ways too. So the the, the trick is, you know, you you call out the bad behavior but you recognize that there's still something worthwhile in it. Or mm. not in the bad behavior, but in the property that has that bad behavior. Sure. So I, I think that's where I come down on it, is I'm not trying to find that line. 
of what can I enjoy and what can't I. I just accept that there's some of each. Yeah, and I think that's easier to do for media that you don't um, deal with as much. Like if it's, oh, this, uh, you know, allegations came out against this actor on this really popular show that I don't watch. Yeah. It's a lot easier to criticize than for a show that you really care about. And yeah, you want am to I ever supporting. going to watch this Kevin Spacey movie again? I don't know. Right. <laughs> People still tell me really good things about Seven. I haven't checked it out yet. Oh, you gotta watch. You gotta watch Seven, man. Okay. <laughs> He's the villain in it. It's fine. I know that's not how that works. Don't. No, add that's me. a that's an interesting. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a very Johnny Bravo Ian. Like, uh, it's fine. He's the bad guy. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm sure there's a lot written on all of these topics. Probably. Like, we're not very learned as far as this goes. <laughs> we're, like, we're just no, guys that watch cartoons. Because <laughs> we're talking about a cartoon, and that's still the extent of our expertise. Right, That that's the thing. It's not that these things are not embodied within cartoons. It's that our, our experience is, is lacking. Yeah, it was, it was a lot easier to do this for Tenchi Muyo for a number of reasons, but chief among them being like, well, it was the so... Japanese people are weird, yeah. <laughs> well, it, no, just because, like, it was... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was such an intrinsic that's, part that's of... That's another thing the show does. It was such an intrinsic part of that show that I don't know if you could have disentangled it, and so we could just sort of say with a broad brush, this exists, but the good parts are good. Whereas with this show, as you say, they probably could have done it without this aspect or without those specific uh, harassment aspects, and the fact that they didn't makes me have to pause a bit more. I, and I think that's fine. And I think that you recognizing that it's difficult to come to a decision on that makes perfect sense. And, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have to, we don't have to come to a resolution. <laughs> I, I know that. it's really hard to come to a, to find a stopping place to talk about yeah. this subject because like, if, if I stop now, I'm going to sound mm, not great. Kind of wishy-washy. I don't think that's the case. I think that you are at a place where like you, you recognize a thing that you like is is Trixie. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that you need to think about it. And that's that's a mature way to think about a thing. Like, that's much better than the reflex-based uh, opinionation of comment pages on, like, you know, YouTube and Twitter and shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, would rather, I would rather have a person to talk to whom is like, I don't know how I feel about that. Let me think about it for a day, and then we can continue this discussion. Yeah, and I'm glad I had have you specifically, because, like, odds are good that you dealt with the exact same issue approximately two years before I did. And I can just, <laughs> <laughs> just plot your progression and see, like, will, will this work for me? <laughs> well, I, I don't know how, you know, as time goes on, that becomes less and less cogent an argument, but maybe. Nope, not listening. Ah, okay, well, uh, in that case, uh, I want to <laughs> I wanna jump into music and sound now. Let's yeah, finish this out. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the kind of the the like you were saying, it is fast paced. The intro, the the kind of big brass band kind of thing uh, that is. Yeah, what is up. this music style? Yeah, it, it it feels like big brass band meets kind of. What is that? So the, I think there's like that that like synth piano sound that hits you over the head in the intro and during the show itself. That it kind of feels like. It's like part church organ and part soap opera music. It, I, I think it's a little bit synthy, but I don't know if it. I don't think it embodies the kind of music of the of the synth. I think I'd put it more as like swing dance than anything else. Um, but you know, it, I, all that matters is it's fast paced and it's fun to listen to. I think that the, I think that there's like a few like really good kind of music moments that accompany some particularly 
great moments with Johnny. So, like, uh, at one point, he's Amish for a reason. Sure. And, you know, he's trying to get good at getting good with his Amish family friends. And so they go to a bunch. There's, a, like, a bunch of scenes of him doing Amish shit, but he's real bad at it, and he's kind of missing the point. And there's a lot of really good music that goes along with that. And if you want to check that episode out and cut it in, I think you'll you'll see what I mean. So when the battery ran out, I realized I had my underwear on my head the whole time. <laughs> hey, want to see some karate? He's planting. So he he wants to plant a field, and so he like. You, you see him planting individual chickens in the field and like you pan out and it's like 50 chickens all squawking from within like planted tilled fields and he turns around and like kind of points to them with his thumb like look at the good job I did. <laughs> and there's like the, the really good kind of farm music. Yeah, turkey like in the straw kind of thing. The turkey with the in the straw kind of music beat. going along with that to really, sure. to really nail it. So, you know, I, I think that they... They don't use excessive musical cues, but when they do, it's generally generally on point. Mm-hmm. The uh, the intro, it's interesting because it, for each of those major shifts in the show, they have a slightly different intro, and they, they try to keep in the big, like, major beats of it. They have the same uh, music, like, baby, sassy, studly, check the pics. Mercy. The first season's intro focuses on Johnny, and it does a good p- job of like putting him front and center and telling you very quickly, like, this is what he's about. Yep. I like the second and third season's intro better because they show more character interactions. You see his mom making pancakes for him, and he just doesn't really acknowledge her. Carl comes to say hi, and he slams the door in his face. Like, you can see how dismissive he is of everyone. Completely. Yeah, completely uh, agree. Although I will say f- that I like that he does like more of his little lines in the first season intro yeah. because the lines are amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into it in a second. And then the the fourth season is kind of overdone and too fast. Like there's too many quick cuts, too many flashing lights. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of overwhelming. I think the the second and third season really hit it, just as they did with the show itself. I, I think so too. Uh, although I do have some fondness for that first season. Sure. Um, the. Uh, there's some walking around music, which I think is pretty good, which is, I don't know, it kind of almost sounds like a, kind of like a free jazz thing when he's just like kind of walking from place to place, like the, it kind of seems like a, almost a, almost like a spy movie kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but there's a lot of little themes that just, I don't know, they just work on me. There's, there's. I'm not a music guy. I just enjoyed the music cue, the music tracks that happened to be in this show. Yeah, I've the the music worked for me, but I had a hell of a time figuring out what kind of instruments or style it was. Yeah, which it's, which may be good. You know, it, it's just it sort of yeah. it's just sort of light and bouncy, and like it doesn't really appear anywhere else in the specific things that it does. And I'll try to just cut in music in lieu of knowing what I'm talking about. I, I try to do that sometimes with episodes too. <laughs> We've already talked a lot about the sound effects, about how Hanna-Barbera really, I mean, kind of codified this in the law, as it were. Um, every time Johnny moves and it does a sound effect, it pops on the page. And that is, you know, we want to be looking at him. That's where they're drawing our attention. So that's extremely good synergy. Mm-hmm. And Do it saves anything? frames. He, they don't have to animate him for every single frame. Mm-hmm. He can he can be much more choppy. He can, Yeah, he can just do dynamic poses. Did, did you have anything else to say about sound effects in general? Uh, not particularly. 
Well, in that case, I want to get to what I think is maybe maybe one of the stronger parts of the show, which is uh, the dialogue in general, and specifically Johnny's verbal tics. <laughs> Mercy. They they did a great job characterizing this 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 uh this main character our protagonist so as it, such as it is by giving him a lot of little verbal tics that both tell you about him and are also fun to listen to you know in part because Jeff Bennett is the greatest voice actor in the world but you know also sure. like listen listen to some of these things that he does um so his catchphrases consist of two parts one of them are weak semi-satirical stereo pickup lines that are delivered without a hint of shame and are always context sensitive so like he's on the beach and he's like my love is a tidal wave on your beachfront property like it goes (laughs) from cheesy to stupid and inane (laughs) and it's always funny because of that deep voice the metaphor comes first the metaphor i don't don't care if this is a no sell i have to get through the end of it just too far it just needs to go barely too far (laughs) Uh, or one of the my favorite ones, which started off as, you know, a little too sexist for my taste, but quickly turned a corner, which is he's being held on trial, and there's a very attractive judge, and he says, mm-mm, justice is served. <laughs> oh, Johnny. Hey, Judge Gorgeous, may I please the court? <laughs> like, it's again with the references, he has no idea what they what they mean, but he knows how to connect them to flirting. <laughs> No, he's, he, yeah, he's like, okay, I'm aware of what pickup lines to use in a courtroom. I know yeah. which ones to use on a beach. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's like he's got it's, a, it's all filtered. He's got an algorithm here. <laughs> hey, future babe, lower your deflectors. I've set my phasers on love. You know, it just infinite amount of that. Like, I, as much as I disliked a lot of those uh, hitting on women segments, all of those lines worked on me. Mm. They slayed me every time because they started at cheesy and wound up at inane. Um, the other half of the other half of the uh, dialogue bits that he gives are, you know, uh, what I think is incredibly endearing, and which is where he makes a cogent noun into an adjective in order to describe it. Yes. So he's walking on the beach. His feet are getting burned. He's going like, ooh ah ooh ooh, <laughs> Sandy, <laughs> or or. You know, he's paddling in the water, and he'll say, paddly, and he, there's nothing there. <laughs> he'll he's he'll just... bounce a candelabra between his pecs and say, candelabra candelabra and that's the one I remember from a long time ago, and he, there's nothing to it. There's no joke in there. It's That's all character development, right? He's, he's a giddy six-year-old with too much energy and nowhere to direct it, and these are the best adjectives he can use to describe his mental state. Is mm-hmm. the noun that he's interacting with with a Y at the end. <laughs> That's the best way to describe things. <laughs> yeah, what would you need anything else for? It's a bear type buddy. English is so complicated. We can't just say, oh, this is that this computer is being real computery. Why is that not explicit enough? It's Buffy speak. Yeah, so so I I like his his verbal takes a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, How really, really charming characteristics. Yeah, I think so. In addition, a lot of the writing is just it's very clever. Mm-hmm. And Clever is fine on its own. Clever in a way that is still very funny is should be called out as exceptional. So what I what I like here, the, there's a couple that kind of meet the high mark of both making me laugh and also kind of having a point to them. Sure. Which is uh, in the Sensitive Guy episode, uh, the guy asks 
Johnny, you're too masculine, you know that? Uh, isn't that kind of like being too ethical? <laughs> yeah. Which, which one is funny because he has no idea, but two is funny because you can see him equating masculinity as something that is fundamentally good. Right. And just more equals better. And that tells you something about his character, which is, that's, that's very clever. Uh, another one is... Uh, he goes to the dodge. He tries to go to dodgeball camp and gets inducted into the military. And he's he still thinks he's trying to go to dodgeball camp. So the drill sergeant behind the desk is like, "Are you willing to put your life on the line to serve your country?" Um, I like dodgeball. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that's all the drill sergeant needs to put him in the military is he likes dodgeball. Or like, uh, when he emerges from that sarcophagus in the art museum and it's dark and nobody's around, and he's like, "Oh, is the museum closed?" Or maybe I'm in the future and everybody's been killed and destroyed. Or maybe just the museum's closed. <laughs> like, going back to that, yeah. recognizing that opportunity is great. Um, Do we both have a bunch of quotes? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much out. I, I like the one where um, he's dating a deer and he's trying not to make a whole thing out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This is this is one of those, like, early seasons. Like, we're just uh, trying to figure out what's acceptable <laughs> we, in this show. We still show. need him to date, but we kind of want to do some nonsense. Yeah, anytime that his dating is successful, it is with a non-human woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, or with a woman who's, like, trying to turn him into a hamster or something. Yeah. And, you know... Oh, the deer is at the restaurant, and the waiter comes over and is like, oh, you know, you can't have pets in here. And, and then she's like, wait a second, who is that? And she's like, oh, my God, is that Carol? And, like, he knows her dad. Sure. And, like, <laughs> she'll she'll say, like, oh, I'll, I'll have just an order of grass, but not too much. I'll just chew the same bite for hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, where is that joke going? Imagine, like a like, a hack comedy set where they're doing you know, the jokes everyone's heard before. Now imagine the one step better, somebody who's doing jokes on a subject you've heard before, but better jokes than you've heard before from the other guy. Mm -hmm. Now imagine that from another universe where weird shit happens. That's the kind of dialogue we're getting. And because it's not our situation, it works on two levels. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> it was a very roundabout way of explaining it, but you can feel it when you hear it. I'm, I'm kind of picking up what you're putting down. There's a, there's a thing... I think that maybe what is what you're talking about and tell me if it isn't um, where in one of the episodes, Johnny accidentally blinds someone steering a ship by using a tanning, uh, like a tanning thing, like a tanning mirror. Sure. And the person driving the ship says a straight up Seth MacFarlane line. Like that must've been a Seth MacFarlane joke, which is the person who's blinded and steering the ship says suddenly can't see must talk like this and then crashes. <laughs> Oh, Th this show really shines when you just like watch several episodes because the best parts stick in your mind so well. It's an excellent show. Like, I mean, it's, it's very it's so consistently very funny. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are troubling elements. But even with those troubling elements, if you can, if you can, you know, if you can weather them, and I'm not saying you have to. If you can't, I totally get it, because they do stop me cold every now and again. Sure. But if you get past it, the show is just, it has such good writing, and they use the toolbox of the Hanna-Barbera sound effect so well. Like, there's this one part where Johnny gets really excited, and so he starts kind of doing some celebratory squats, and the sound effect is a rusty hinge. <laughs> and 
in you lieu of that. any context, him with his dumb face and that single eyebrow up with a rusty hinge and him him just jittering back and forth. You know, wherever you put him plus sound effects, it's good. Yeah. There's there's something just uh, very lovable about this character in most situations. I, I feel like we often see the lovable oaf archetype, and this is one of my this is one of the better inter- iterations of it. Maybe just mm-hmm. because he's uh, just because he's an insecure man child, which I think is is a good mix for that. Yeah, I, I want to bring up uh, an interesting bit of internet uh, love for Johnny Bravo. Ooh, do which tell. is. There is a lot of fan art of him and Samurai Jack kind of going on, like, buddy adventures. Really? Where they're teaching each other things and, like... Is it like, because you, they both, you, like, the same person uh, kind of worked well, yeah, on them? Well, yeah, I mean, them? like, the same pe- kind of people worked on them. Like, they were they were all friends. But also, like, just something about them interacting. I think it's from that one cartoon bumper where they're doing laundry together. Oh, Sure. But there's been other stuff, like, you'll see them both dressed up like the Blues Brothers. Oh, my God. What is this? They'll both be doing, like, action poses. They'll both be doing karate yeah, like Johnny Wood. Or they're both doing like, samurai bitch. stuff. <laughs> yeah, like... What is this? <laughs> who saw the potential there? Oh, my God. There's... Samurai Jack is all wounded, and Johnny is, like, dressed up like Samurai Jack. And he just says to Jack, kill those who get past me. <laughs> The two of them are at prom, and he's wearing a Komodo, and Johnny Bravo is wearing, like, a sequined vest, and... Oh, man, this is really they're, something. They're they're both in the future, and, like, Johnny's bald and has a robot arm with a gun in it. Where's this one? I just type in their... Oh, yeah, there it is. Google Images. Like, have yourself a good time. <laughs> this is amazing. Wow. Here's them both as hipsters. Yeah, this is both of them in like a Kit esque Knight Rider car. There, it's so good. Like, I don't know why this buddy <laughs> comedy works. Yeah, this is man. This, this is just them eating lunch. They're they're kind of polar opposites personality wise. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about their models and like the calm thoughtfulness of Jack and the youthful exuberance of Johnny when both harnessed toward a singular purpose and made slightly more serious than the one slightly less. Like, they average out to a beautiful place. Absolutely. This is kind of like the thing we got with Aku, where Johnny, Bro- or uh, Samurai Jack, his best thing is that, it, like, where he really shines is in contrast to someone else. Uh-huh. And Johnny Bravo is, he is very, he's an emphatic personality. <laughs> Oh, man, there's one with them kissing, and it just says sweet like cherry Coke. Oh, there's many of them kissing. Oh, yeah, the shit, there are. Man, this is good. <laughs> Thanks, Internet. Yeah, man, Zane, you really found the line. <laughs> found the line. You got, you, man, we got there. Oh, here's one where Johnny's trying to give him a gift, and it's little figurines of both of them. <laughs> That's and he's getting flustered. Cute. Man. Uh, okay, yeah, this, this could go on for days. Let's Let's jump out. Uh, thanks, Internet. Yeah, that. I mean, that's great. You saying maybe we should have a Cartoni Award for like best Internet shit, best find. Yeah, best best Internet weird. Well, speaking of good Internet weird, we got uh, a comment from Internet weirdo uh, Joshua. Yes, please, let's hear it. <laughs> Who? So he he started off with a quote from the episode where Johnny's dating a deer, and then it, the deer. Her ex is at the restaurant, too, but he's a crab. They both go to jail. Naturally. Um, 
And so the quote is, the top bunk is mine. Go near it and die. <laughs> Just with this, like, crab thing threatening Johnny, and they're both in prison uniforms. It's great. Uh, and yeah, then the comment continues. Uh, My dad was never an Elvis fan, but he loved the Johnny Bravo character. He loved to impersonate him. Which, like, very fun and easy character to just, like, walk around with. I mean, taking the Johnny Bravo voice and mannerisms out of his original context does nothing to harm the character like <laughs> no his the character is the mannerisms and context and and yes. voice you know it there's nothing he's not that deep you know and mm-hmm. that that that's why he's easy to love and i i totally respect that you're you're that that joshua's dad like would reference him a lot because that's i don't know that's very funny to me <laughs> i i love the concept of like Oh, I don't know about this Elvis fellow, but this guy seems on the ball. Yeah, this guy's up and up. Look at his hair. I, uh, <laughs> Look at his great hair. Yeah, we just we just needed to cartoonize Elvis a little bit to make him acceptable for a different generation. That, that's very funny. He's palatable. That's very funny. Th- thank you very much, Joshua. That's yeah, always always a pleasure to hear you. A delightful anecdote. <laughs> Man, and yeah, I I'm probably gonna do the impression for quite a while, so that makes. You know, I I totally dig it. Mm-hmm. Dig it. I dig it. Mercy. Diggity. <laughs> Wiggy. So, uh, if there are no more comments, yeah, I, I guess uh, let's let's wrap this up. Yeah. So, on the whole, Johnny Bravo is still a good show. There is that element that's right out front and center that you kind of have to get past, work around, recontextualize, or just sort of accept that it's gonna color everything about it. Or um, or just give the entire thing a pass. You know, I would not fault anyone for seeing that and saying that's 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 beyond my comfortable threshold. I'm I've gotten catcalled a lot, and I don't want to see it in my shows. Like I would totally get that. But if you can put it aside and uh, you know interact with the show in the way that it intends, I think the strengths of it carry and make it very easy to forget about its its um, its faults. I think that they, that if you are able to do so, you can get a lot out of the show. I mean, you said it's still good. I would say it's still great. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's rare that I go back to a show and you know am excited to watch more episodes as opposed to kind of fearing needing to take more notes. Mm-hmm. I watched a lot of this, and uh, most of it is very consistently hilarious. The character is a delight. Um, it definitely, you know, I don't think we need it rebooted. I think it can just stay in amber as it exists right now. And, you know, accepting that the times have changed and there are, you know, um, there are differences in how we treat things socially now. It's still extremely funny. And it's worth I, your time. I actually first going back to watch this uh, didn't appreciate it all that much, possibly because I started with those earlier episodes. But yeah. there's... It's never going to be as punchy and over the top as in your childhood because you were struggling to keep up with what was going on. Here, you can a lot more easily, uh, but it's still like way faster than anything else that was going on at the time. Well, you know, that that's kind of a good point because this show was marketed kind of to a young teen, uh, young adult kind of demographic, but it mm-hmm. definitely got some kid crossover because the humor was so punchy. So even if you didn't get kind of the subtlety in some of the dialogue bits, um, you still had a lot of fun, wacky shit going all across the screen. And I wonder if that was a design consideration to make it approachable to multiple generations. Like, if you don't like this bit, we'll still get you on the dialogue. And if you don't like the dialogue, well, we'll still get you on the on the animation. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of shows people will say like, oh, you know, and there's something in there for for the adults to enjoy. Here it's just here it's just all enjoyable for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's weirdly weirdly family friendly sexist show. <laughs> walk that line. That, that's a tight line to rope walk. Tight rope to line walk. Okay. Saying we're, you know what we're doing in this episode is we started with something real down, got great in the middle, and then we're ending with down again, just like the Johnny Bravo progression. <laughs> Ooh. It's the same thing. Yeah, so tune in next season when eh, we go to Bollywood. Oh, I forgot to mention, they, they had a TV movie, Johnny Goes to Bollywood, and then there was a spinoff uh, series of that, but only aired in Asia. I think we don't need to know that. Okay. But that's... Oh, man, with the action figures. I'm sorry. I'm looking at Johnny Bravo and Samurai Jack again. So good. Uh, Zane. Ben, do you want to go as them to a con? Oh, absolutely. I'm sharing this with Ulysses. It's the first chance I get. <laughs> <laughs> he is going to eat this shit up. Uh, All right. Uh, so, Zane, uh, yes. what are we doing next time? Next time, we are going to watch Moomin, the uh, 1990 quote-unquote anime based on the uh scandinavian book series that looks just like the books feels just like the books and has that nice scandinavian quality of being cute and family friendly for like three quarters and then things get excruciatingly dark yeah that should be interesting i uh i don't have many memories of it but that's okay i i like coming to new things we we just did a thing that i was very familiar with so doing something i'm absolutely unfamiliar with will be uh that'll be a nice change of pace Mm mm-hmm and then uh, after that, we have done some negotiations over the next few episodes. Uh, we're going to push off the scrambled by uh, one episode and do a movie mm-hmm. next episode. Um, and that is going to be Sita Sings the Blues, um, yep. which I have been recommended to by uh, someone I know. And uh, it should be interesting and very different from anything we've seen before. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now, and it looks like there's going to be a lot to talk about. I don't have any familiarity with it, so I can't give any sort of commentary, but uh, looking forward to that as well. It seems like there's a lot going on. Sex, gods, and weird animation, or yeah, and, di- distinct animation. And supposedly a modern, like like a, like a semi-biographical plotline, which is yeah. it's, it's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, concept. that should be fun. Yeah, at the risk of it being yet another movie that's amazing. Yeah, but I mean, your like, experience may vary. Yeah, that that could that could be true. Um, but you know, uh, we've got a different <laughs> movie you, lined up. How often up. are you going to get a recommendation that's bad? We, we, we've got a. Well, I don't know, man. I recommend a lot of shit that's bad just because I think it's funny. But audience, recommend something that's bad because you think it's funny. No, no, no. Recommend something that's interesting but bad. That's yeah. what we want. Like if they remade Death Race two thousand as a TV show, like as a cartoon, recommend that. Yeah, yeah, or. Uh, oh, no, Zane, it happened again. Ben's real sleepy. I started I started looking at the Samurai Jack, <laughs> Johnny Bravo thing again. Oh, if you can send us your favorite <laughs> picture of those guys. That would be excellent. Uh, anyway, those are the things that are coming up. Listen to them. Mercy. You got to close this out, Ben. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, Tell them I know to, to listen to the show. So, so uh, yeah, if if you are interested in telling us either about Sita Sings the Blues or that other thing that Zane said with uh, the trolls and uh, the family family uh, dark, dark spirit episode or whatever you were talking about that I didn't understand. Did you want to say what the name was? So you can... Sita Sings the Blues. No, the other one. The other one. 
Finn Family Moomin Troll, right? Moomins. Moomins. Yes, that's the one. Uh, if you have anything to say about either of those, and I would be surprised, so you definitely should, uh, then go ahead and go on our Facebook page and drop us a line. Go ahead and give us a comment underneath uh, underneath the post for this episode or wherever you please, and we will be sure to look at it. Go ahead and message us there, or you can go to uh, cartoncast at gmail.com to drop us a line. Also be sure to check out the other uh, the other podcast on the Fancy Bat Network, fancybat.com, and uh Leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, and more than anything else, tell your friends about the show. Do I end with an Elvis impression? Uh, yeah, Zane, I think it's kind of, yeah, I mean, this might be the only time you get. You know, I was in an acapella group in college, and um, my sophomore year, my solo was an Elvis song. I remember. we did a bunch of recordings. Uh, and one of those that we recorded was that Elvis song. And so I actually can just input as our outro me singing that. That sounds great. <laughs> you say that. Well. Less conversation, a little more action, All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. A little more fight, a little less bar. A little less fight and a little more spark. Mouth open up your heart. Better satisfy me. Satisfy me, baby. Don't 